does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. You just heard John talking about it, and he is correct. That conversation yesterday with Rick Venturi, pretty awesome. Um, just in terms of a pretty candid, raw, transparent dissection of the Colts NFL season that has come to a close as Indianapolis now sits and watches Super Wild Card Weekend getting underway. Now, how's it Super Wild Card different than the Wild Card? It's like Wild Card plus extra Wild Card, right? It's like it's like asking how Mario Brothers is different than Super Mario. That's World, right, Jake. Come on. Uh, Matt Verderam is an NFL writer for Sports Illustrated at SI Now is their Twitter account. He is at Mer- uh, Matt Verderam. That's M A T T V E R D E R A M E, and he joins us now on the program. Matt, I'm going to begin with a kind of an elementary question, I guess. In in the NBA, there's always talk about how the playoffs, like the level of play, intensifies. Hockey as well. Because defensively, teams, I think, really clamp down and you get less of a free-flowing style. Football's a little bit different. I guess the question would be, is playoff football any different in terms of like schematically what teams want to do or try to do, or is it pretty straightforward from what we saw through 17 games? Yeah, you know, I think... I think it's a misnomer that you know the game's faster, so to speak. I mean, look, guys aren't running twenty percent faster in the playoffs, but I think what is different, especially for the upper echelon teams, maybe the top six, seven, eight teams in the league, you've held back plays all year long that you've worked on, that you've waited for, that you've purposely sat on, knowing, hey, we're going to be in the playoffs, and when we get there. We're going to have these 30, 40 plays that nobody's seen, that are unscouted looks, that we're going to unleash on third down, in the red zone, in the opening script. I think that's the difference. You know, you look at teams, you know, like like Baltimore, like Kansas City, uh, like, you know, like Dallas even, that down the stretch, last four or five weeks, you know you're making the playoffs. Now, Dallas at the win the divisions are a little bit different. But some of these teams that have, you know, San Francisco is a perfect example. Teams... They had the luxury of just saying, hey, we're going to be there. We're not going to run out our absolute best stuff, especially against other really good teams that they thought they might see in the playoffs. I think that is a real thing and could pay huge dividends for those teams come this weekend and and forward. Okay, can you settle, Matt, a debate that Jimmy and I have had? And I'm not going to tell you which way I'm leaning on it because, I mean, clearly you would probably want to side with me in this regard, right? But just as the cooler of the two. But – um, which game to you, if you were to rank the sexiness of the NFL playoff games opening weekend, which game has a bigger uh, factor of just like this does not intrigue or wet my whistle at all? Philly and Tampa or Pittsburgh and Buffalo? Philly and Tampa. That's the Does bigger uh, game, right? Does nothing for me. No. I. I mean – Tampa's nine and eight in a division where they played nobody and then also played in AFC South, which actually is not bad, as, as you guys know. The AFC South is very people thought. But, like, you know, you, you're playing 
you know, if you're Tampa, you played a really beat up Jacksonville team. You played you played a Titans team that's not good. Like I, I mean, Tampa to me is just very underwhelming. And then Philly, I I was at the Eagles Chiefs game for Sports Illustrated. I covered it, and I I, I remember walking out of that stadium and thinking, man, Philadelphia, whatever they were, it's like nine and one. You know, like man, they like this might be a Super Bowl preview or you know Super Bowl rematch uh, part three or however you want to look at it. They they've fallen apart. I mean, they're to the point now. You look at them and just go, I don't, I don't see it. I mean, I, maybe they win against Tampa because somebody's got to win that game, but that's about it. Whereas Pittsburgh and Buffalo, that would have been my answer until we found out that the game was being played in Antarctica conditions. Hmm. Now all of a sudden, that game is hmm. more interesting to me. So I, hmm. I would have I would have gone that way initially, but the weather changed it for me. Okay, I'm so willing Matt, to wear the L, but I have one. I just want to appeal, even though I know I've been defeated. I'm not going to change Matt's mind. But, I'd like to know Matt's favorite beer because that's exactly what I'm going to sit down and have with him to toast <laughs> for the fact that he sided with me on this. Does does the thought that I viewed Pittsburgh this entire cycle as an auto buy, not the same way that I view Tampa Bay, change anything about that matchup? In other words, that would be a game where if you're a Bills fan, you would ideally look at it and say, yeah, we'll win this thing by three scores. I think the Bills, in a perfect world, like, let's put it this way. A week ago, when the, when the Master first came out, we didn't see the weather report. My immediate thought was, the Bills are going to win this game 31-3. to Then the weather report came out. And I went to, look, I'm from New York. I went to school not far from Buffalo. I went to school where my dorm hall was, you could throw a football and hit Lake Ontario. Okay? I am extremely aware of what lake effect snow and wind is. And for anyone who's not aware of it, it is brutal. I mean, it is like, it is, let's put it this way, and people can fact check me, they can look this up. My freshman year, 2007, well, second semester is 2007, 10 feet of snow in three days. I mean, it is, it is ungodly. And when you're talking about wind sustained 30 to 35 mile an hour, gusts up to 65, like Josh Allen becomes a moot point throwing the football. That is. That to me, everybody's talking about the weather in Kansas City, and I'm going to be there tomorrow. I'm going to drive out there, and it's going to be brutal. But, like, the wind's not supposed to be that bad. It's mostly just going to be really, really cold. If I'm a quarterback, I'd much rather play in that than play in 20-degree weather that the wind could be 60 miles an hour. You Matt, to me, the the real intriguing thing about Buffalo, and this is true probably of, you know, there are other teams that you could look at but in any sport. But Buffalo, what what Buffalo did, and yes, they kind of put themselves in this position, I realize. But the last five weeks of the season, the gauntlet that Buffalo had to go through and weather through, pardon the pun, to get to the playoffs was to me so impressive that the thing that's intriguing about Pittsburgh or whoever they put, I don't care if they're playing Carolina in the opening round, I'm curious to see if they're able to maintain the foot on the accelerator, or if that alone took enough out of them, you know, I want it because I think people, Buffalo's that team that people are like, do not let them in because it reminds me of the St. Louis Cardinals in baseball. Like you just don't want them in because then they never go away. And I'm very curious to see how they respond to what it took in order to get to this spot. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's an interesting point. I mean, look, but my, my argument would actually be this with the bills. They barely beat Easton Stick and Bailey Zappi, who had four turnovers and a half of football in Buffalo. 
they needed a 96-yard punt return to put away a Dolphins team that both last week and this week basically playing at half strength. They needed Kadarius Tony to step into the neutral zone to beat them. Now, look, that's a good win. I, I get it. Even with Tony's issue, like, you go going against it, you win. It's a great win. The Bills have been bizarre all year long, which kind of speaks to, could the Bills, even with the weather, blow Pittsburgh out 100%? But would anybody sitting here be surprised if that game 17-17 at the two-minute warning? I mean, that's kind of who the right. Bills have been. Frankly, it's kind of who Kansas City, to some degree, has been this year with all self-inflicted mistakes, which is why I think if the Chiefs and the Bills win, they're going to play each other in the divisional round. That game would be fascinating. Because you could tell me any outcome, I'd believe it. Either one of them winning by 20 points, either one of them losing by 20 points. It's just, but the Bills specifically, and Allen specifically, there's this so up and down, you never know what you're getting. NFL staff writer for Sports Illustrated, Matt Verderam, is our guest. Matt, I've seen you on Twitter. You know I'm a Chiefs fan, so I'm not just appealing to that matchup. But I know, as you've said multiple times already during our conversation, you're a cold-weather guy. You love the cold. We joked at the top of our show that Colts fans secretly want to be cold-weather guy, but they have an indoor retractable roof, but an indoor stadium where they don't have to ever worry about the elements. This is your opportunity to sell it to Indianapolis, why cold-weather games are actually great? Oh, because this is how football is meant to be played. I'll argue this to the death with anybody. I don't want to watch a playoff game in 85-degree weather. I don't. Now, I'm from New York. Maybe that's part of it. I grew up playing hockey my whole life. It was not uncommon to play outdoors if it was 5 degrees. You put a hat on. Fine. Like, I mean, it, it, to me... That's what's so fun about this. I'm getting to Arrowhead Stadium with the game kick 7.15 Central time. I'm going to get there at about 4 o'clock. And I'm just going to walk around the parking lot and talk to people and hang out for the first hour, hour and a half before I go into the stadium. Like I, I really – I'm going to embrace it. And look, it's cold. It's really cold. I'm not trying to downplay it. But I think that's part of the, the magic of this. Like, like, who, like, where would you rather watch a playoff game? Lambeau Field or Mile High – or, or Arrowhead, or down in Miami. I, I, I said, no Matt, were you listening to the first hour of the show? Because I swear that's exactly <laughs> – I mean, that's – you are one – I said, in Indianapolis, Colts fans listening don't want to admit it deep down, Matt, but as much as it – and it is super convenient and nice to be able to park your car and walk inside when it's 10 degrees outside. But, but I think there is an envy, and part of the magic and the lure of playoff football – is snow flurries and cold temperatures and like bundling up by the fire watching on television a bunch of people sitting outside in rust belt ugly weather right that's that's the whole beauty of it a thousand percent i think the person who decided that the vikings were going to move indoors that person should be put in prison <laughs> like that th- to move that team from the met when they bud grant the 70s freezing hey we're going to move indoor why why? You're giving away a huge advantage. Like I like for me, look, Buffalo and Pittsburgh's one thing. They're both cold weather teams and the the wind is the great equalizer because it's just hard to throw in it. If you're Kansas City, if you're the Chiefs, you want that game. You hope it's negative ten. And you don't what do you care? You know, you got heated benches, you got you know, I always love when people are like, It's dangerous for the players. No, it's not. They have heated benches that are like sitting on hey. ovens. Matt, you know the other side of that, though? Uh, the other side of that that I always laugh at is when people are like, this is a huge advantage for Green Bay versus Miami, which in, in theory, you're right, because they're practicing it all week. But then I think about it, and I'm like, 
90% of Green Bay's rosters from like Florida, Clemson, <laughs> right. and Florida State, right? You know what I mean? So, you know, it all balances out. It does. The only thing I think that it is a real advantage is when you're one of those teams that you, you like, for an example, Buffalo's week has practiced indoors all week. The Chiefs have been outdoors all week long. Like, I think that does to some degree. I think, you know, here, I put it this way. I think it's more of a mental advantage because you're told all week this this benefits you, this benefits you, this benefits you. And if you're Miami, all you've heard all week, I mean, I, I've followed multiple beat reports. I've been talking about should they move the game? Should they change the time? Again? I think it's so in your head. Like By the time you get there, you're just thinking about it so much. Whereas if you're the home team in that scenario, you're like, this is – this is good. We were told this is an advantage. I think it's more mental. Now, in the, in the Chiefs-Dolphins game, I also do think there's a little bit of Tua is more of a guy who's going to float the ball, try to place it a little bit more. I think it's a lot harder to do in a game like this than Mahomes is just going to dr- just throw rifle shots all over the field. Uh, might be harder on his receivers who can't catch to begin with. Uh, but I, I think it probably benefits the way he plays a little bit more than the way Tua does. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. St. Jude treats children across the country and around the world, regardless of color, creed, or financial capability, because they're committed to love and care for their neighbors. Join me in helping St. Jude give every child with cancer the chance they deserve to survive. Together, we can save more lives. Call now to become a partner in hope. 1-800-411-9898. That's 1-800-411-9898. Matt Verderim is our guest from SI, NFL staff writer. Matt, let's say, for example, that Chris Ballard calls you and says that he wants to put you on staff as a consultant for the Indianapolis Colts. In that capacity, you would tell him that the things that the Colts most need to work on and or improve for the offseason are what? Give me their checklist. First of all, I would tell you that if Chris Ballard does that, he should probably be fired. Um, Secondly, uh, because if he wants my opinion, it's not good. Secondly, I would say, look, you got to keep Michael Pittman. Like, I don't care if you got to tag him, sign him, what. Like, you got you have to retain him. Um, you know, we're putting out a list for a top fifty free agents. He's certainly in the top ten. Number two, I think you got to add somebody on the other side of him. Like Alec Pierce is fine, but Alec Pierce probably is in a, is in the top two. Number two, I like Josh Downs a lot. I think Downs might be that number two guy, but I think you, you want to surround Anthony Richardson on his cheat deal as much as you possibly can with talent. So I would try not only retain Pittman but add a guy. And then defensively. Look, I I love the way their defensive front played. Got a lot of sacks. Um, I want to see them add a guy in the secondary who's a difference maker. I want to see them go out and find a corner, who whether it's a first-round pick, whether it's a veteran guy, like somebody who can go in there and play at a really high, like somebody who's a Pro Bowl caliber player. Because I think, you know, in that scheme, in that system, you need to have corners, you know, obviously a lot of zone, but you got to have some guys who can really change the picture for the opposing quarterback. So I'd like to see the, the Colts improve on the perimeter on both sides of the ball as much as possible. Matt, I know this is somewhat of a tough question since you don't cover the team regularly, but this will be year eight for Chris Ballard. And my argument kind of against him has been, yes, there's been some unforeseen circumstances that maybe have built-in excuses, the amount of quarterbacks that they've had, maybe the situation sure. there. But he hasn't done a ton in my mind 
to show a track record of being able to supply a ton of weapons. Michael Pittman Jr. is definitely one, and Josh Downs looks like he might be. But prior to last yep. offseason, there hasn't been a ton of body of work with that. If we're at year eight, but it's year two for Steichen and basically de facto year one for Richardson, what is a fair like hot seat timeline for Chris Ballard, given all that's happened the last eight years with this franchise? I think it's fair to sit here and say, look, they've got to get results now. I mean, this was a team that I remember early in the year. I thought Indianapolis might have the worst record in the AFC, not because I didn't like the future, but I thought, hey, look, Richardson's a first-year guy. He's raw. I, I love the hire of Shane Steichen the second they made it. And I remember covering the Colts as part of my training camp tour and being impressed by them. But you just kind of feel like, hey, it might be down the road. Now, they, they superseded, I think, just about everybody's expectations. And now that you go into this offseason, they got a ton of cash space. Like, there's no reason, and that probably truthfully is the biggest issue I've had with Ballard. They've had off-seasons where they've had major money available to them, and they've sat on the money. At some point here, you've got to be willing to say, look, this division is fairly wide open. Tennessee is now probably going through a little bit of a rebuild. Nobody knows what's going on with Jacksonville after that collapse. Houston is the team with Stroud that you look at and go, okay, but maybe Richardson is your version of Stroud. You don't know yet. Like, if I'm the Colts, I don't want to be sitting there at the end of the next offseason going, yeah, we got $25 million in cap space to roll over. I don't want money to roll over. Like, go out and acquire some guys who are difference makers. I think sometimes teams make the mistake, they'll sign eight mid- middling-type guys, some guys who have you know, upside, one-year deals with incentives, and they feel like they've improved. There's a reason those guys are available for those deals. Go out and sign three guys who really matter, who make a big difference. And I, and I want to see Ballard do that. I feel like in the past he's been hesitant. He's made trades like that, like Buckner. But in free agency, it feels like a lot of times he hasn't made the big move, rather made a bunch of smaller deals. Matt, if you were a guy with a lot of money to spend, you had just mentioned on SI, Matt Verderam, our guest, that you guys are listing the top 50 available free agents. If you were a GM with a lot of cap space or a lot of money in free agency to play with, you would want to be one that's looking for a player at what position? In other words, this particular free agency class is right. really rich where, and it's really void of talent where? Well, I would say receiver, uh, as far as where I'd want to have to find a guy, which benefits Indianapolis. Look, I mean, you could, you could talk about a variety of different types of players, right? T. Higgins is, is potentially going to be available. Pittman, of course, we've talked about. Uh, Gabe Davis is going to be out there. Darnell Mooney is going to be there. Hollywood Brown is going to be there. Keenan Allen and Mike Williams are not free agents technically, but one, if not both, they're going to be gone from L.A. because they're in a cap crunch. Both those guys are cap. It's over $30 million. One of them, at least, is going to be on the move. Jerry Judy. I mean, I could go on and on and on. And there's a million guys. Like Calvin Ridley. So wide receiver is really deep. Now, you know, as usual, quarterback is not deep at all. I mean, Cousins and Mayfield are the, are the big names, but I don't think either one of them is going to get out of their buildings. Um, you know, I think if, if you're trying to find – uh, a big-time pass rusher, you're probably looking at the interior in this class. When, I mean, Brian Burns is, is the, the big headliner name. But then there's like Chris Jones, Christian Wilkins. Um, those guys are guys you look at. I don't know that it's a great edge class. I mean, it, it's a class you look at and go, okay, it's Javon Clowney, probably a one-year deal guy. Josh Uche, maybe a one-year deal guy. Burns is the big prize there. I don't know that there's a ton of of great edge rushers that you look at and go, that's where I, I, I'm going to find my guy. You might wait until the draft for that. Matt Verderam of NFL coverage for SI joins us. 
Matt, when you look at the playoff bracket as a whole, we talked a little bit on Philly. They're, of course, a Super Bowl participant a year ago. Looking at Kansas City, is there enough that you've seen from them over the totality of the season to think that their receivers are suddenly going to learn how to catch the football and maybe they can make a deep run, or will it ultimately be they were just a tick off all year? Well, I don't think the receivers are all of a sudden going to learn how to catch. I mean, if they if they go to the Super Bowl, it's going to be because of Kelsey, Pacheco, Rice, and, and Mahomes, plus that defense. I mean, that look, the defense is second in the NFL. They're fantastic. Like, that's the ticket. If they're going to go to the Super Bowl, it's going to be because they're lights out defensively, and you get three or four just God-mode plays out of Mahomes, which is certainly possible. I, I'd put it with, like this with the Chiefs. You can't rule them out because they're just the kind of team, like, they could win any game they're in. They're always involved. They very, very, very rarely get blown out. You know, they're always a drive away. And if you have Mahomes in January with the ball in five minutes and you're down a score, like, you feel all right about it. On the flip side, would I pick them? No, I wouldn't pick them. I think Baltimore has got to be the pick in the AFC right now. But it is an interesting dynamic. Baltimore and Buffalo, are there any two teams under more pressure to win in the playoffs this year? I mean, you could maybe say Dallas. The Niners certainly have some as well. But like Baltimore's had multiple postseason failures. Buffalo is facing a cap crunch ahead. They're getting older. Like this team, as it currently sits, this is it. Like they're going to have to really remake part of the team after this, after this year. And they've had their their catastrophic moments in the postseason. The Chiefs do have the benefit in the AFC of being like, well, what pressure do we have? I mean, we've got three of the last four Super Bowls, won two of them. So. I think they could do it. I wouldn't pick them, but I also wouldn't sit there and say they don't have a shot. They definitely have a shot. Hey, Matt, of the coaching, I think there are now, if my quick math, six coaching, six openings, is that right? Or are there seven now? Because New England is filled, the, right? I believe it's at least a quarter of the league. Oh, yeah, that's right, because Mayo got hired. Yeah, I think it's either seven or eight, if I'm okay. correct. Um, which one do you find, let's say two, give me the two coaching jobs in the NFL right now open that are probably the most desirable, and the second half of that would be the one that is most likely to be filled by Bill Belichick? So the ones that are most desirable, I I can't believe I'm saying this based off the last 25 years, but Washington. Washington's a really desirable spot. Like, they just brought in Peters to be the GM from the Niners. That's a home run hire. That is new ownership. That is ownership in Harris, who, has, who he runs the Devils in the NHL. He runs the Sixers in the NBA. He has spent a fortune with both teams, and both teams have gone from complete afterthoughts to playoff contenders every year. So I, I think if you're looking at being a coach there, that's, that's a good spot. Like They've they got the second overall pick. You can get a quarterback. So that's one. The other one, you could sit there and argue about it. I like Seattle. I still think Seattle, that's a, that's a good culture. John Schneider is an excellent GM. I think you have some some players on that roster. You've had a couple of really good draft classes recently. I like Seattle. I, I think that was left in a really good spot. You might say, hey, look, you got to find the quarterback. And you do. That's okay. I get that. Not easy, but possible. That Those are the two I like the most. As for Belichick, look, you've heard a lot of smoke about maybe going to Atlanta. I get it in the sense the roster is good. The problem is you have no quarterback. And I, I just, if you're Belichick, like, you're not going to sit there and wait three, four years to make it happen. I mean, you're, you're 72 years old. Like, you got to do it now. I wonder with Belichick, if the Cowboys or the Eagles, if they lose this weekend, do one of those jobs open up? And I think the Dallas one's more likely to do so. Like, if they lose to Green Bay, 
does Jones just say enough of this? Fires McCarthy and calls up Belichick and says, "How much do you want? You got a blank check. What do you want to do?" Because if I'm Belichick, that's the kind of situation I want. Where I can go somewhere. I got the quarterback. I got a roster. Hey, give me three shots at the apple. Here. Yeah, he didn't want to rebuild, right? I mean, at his age, no. Yeah, I mean, and, and if you're Belichick, look, don't let it fool you for a second. He watched Brady go and win a Super Bowl without him. You don't think he wants to win a Super Bowl without Brady? I mean, because the narrative now is always, well, what can he do without Brady? He goes to Dallas. That team's immediately, if not the favorite to win the Super Bowl, top three. So I'm watching those NFC East games very closely for that reason. Matt Verderam of SI joins us. Matt, you tweeted this, or a reaction to it, rather, just before we went on with you. Maybe the Ravens were your pick. I don't know who your Super Bowl pick is directly, so I guess, A, who is that, and B... How much is that impacted slash how much is the playoff landscape impacted with Mark Andrews being designated for return from IR for the Baltimore Ravens? Yeah, I, I was surprised. I mean, you, you heard that that might be possible. Um, my guess is he's probably still a few weeks away. Uh, maybe come back for the AFC title game. But that's – look, it, it certainly doesn't hurt. Um, does it make it, like, massively different for me? No, because I think in, in the NFL, unless it's a quarterback, like – you know, you're not talking about a player who's going to shift the line by a, a touchdown or something, but he certainly helps. He's a great player. He is by far their best red zone threat. So I think he gives them a lot of punch. It just gives you a shot in the arm, gives you a lift. As far as my Super Bowl pick, I think it, for me, it's got to be San Francisco. I know the, the Baltimore waxed them. I get it. But if you're talking about probability, the Niners to me are far more likely to come out of the NFC than anybody is to come out of the AFC. I could make a case for Baltimore, Buffalo, Kansas City. Uh, who are you making the case for other than the Niners in the NFC? The Rams? If they get, I mean, they've won seven of eight. Maybe, that, but like, I don't trust Dallas enough. I certainly don't trust Philly. So I'll, I'll take the Niners. Matt, it's going to be Cleveland and Detroit, and tickets are going to be fifty thousand apiece. <laughs> That's what's that going to happen. That would be incredible. <laughs> Cleveland and Detroit and Las Vegas. That would be I'm, unreal, wouldn't it? I'm here. For, I'm here. For, that would be, I mean, Joe Flacco and Jared Goff. Yeah, sign me up. Sure, why not? Okay, lastly, where did you go to college where you got 10 feet of snow? I'm going to guess here. You said you went to college. We might have done this before, but you went to college in the state of New York. Is that right? Don't tell me the school. I did. I did. Did yeah. you go to a public university? Yes. I'm going to go with uh, SUNY Geneseo. Nope. Uh, I did not go there. I went to SUNY Oswego. So, I, I, I literally, I, I lived in Onondaga Hall, and if you look at the campus, I, I swear to you, I could step out, maybe I'd take two throws, maybe one if I got really into it, you could hit the lake. And we got 10 feet of snow the first week of February 2007, 10 feet, three days around the NBC Nightly News. It was, <laughs> it was great. It was great. I mean, we, we partied all week long. I was going to say, man, like, I'm impressed you made it to Tuesday. That's impressive. I'm impressed. I, oh, I, there were people. The biggest concern was if some if something really goes south at one of these parties, if somebody getting a little bit too uh, excited to have a beer, like who's getting to the hospital? There's <laughs> nobody getting in that. Here. I remember we we were discussing that. We're like hey, everybody's got to like rain it in here because <laughs> if this thing goes south, we don't like, have a snowmobile, nobody's, right? Yeah. Nobody's getting in here. <laughs> so it was uh oh it was great it was great that is beautiful uh matt what do you got upcoming here on si in terms of your coverage i assume playoff coverage right yeah so i'll be in kansas city i'll have my column from arrowhead stadium saturday we'll have a recast all the games throughout the weekend both myself and my colleagues um i have uh the quarterback rankings one through 14 for all the playoffs they're going up i believe today 
And then I wrote a piece that went up yesterday, but you can find it on my Twitter handle or at SI.com, where I talked to four in-the-league sources about the officiating, and I asked them, look, two questions. What bothers you the most about it? And if you had the power, what would you change? And then I took those answers and went to Dean Blandino and had him answer on the record about what he thought. Um, found it fascinating, so I hope people check it out. All right, appreciate it, Matt, and look forward to talking to you again. Hey, Matt, enjoy some uh, brisket or some burn ends for me, will you, please? Oh, I'm getting the two pounds of burn ends the second I get there. Love it. Beautiful. Enjoy. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Hey fam, I'm asking for your support. Help us raise money for St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital. Families never receive a bill from St. Jude for treatment, travel, housing, or food so they can focus on helping their child live. By pledging just $19 a month, you're helping St. Jude give every child with cancer a chance. Help St. Jude save lives. Call 1-800-411-9898. That's 1-800-411-9898 and become a partner in Hope today joining us on the program right now of course you hear him in the morning with andy sweeney the wake-up call with kb and andy kevin bowen joins us kevin you were there yesterday for the colts end of season press conference with chris ballard first off just your overall impressions of anything that might have jumped out at you out of that that surprised you if anything and Kind of compare and contrast Ballard's mood or demeanor, let's say, compared to the same spot a year ago. Well, much, much different than than a year ago. That one's pretty easy. Um, I, I would say what was surprising, you know, he had an Anthony Richardson comment that I think kind of slipped by some, some people and it initially did me until I went back and listened to it again. Uh, but he really feels like, the sample size he saw with Richardson, 173 snaps, he feels like he's a legitimate passer in this league. And, you know, he obviously threw in the caveat, as he often does, you know, let's not crown the kid just yet. But, um, well, I, you know, me personally, I, I thought Richardson you know, did have, uh, again, a nice sample size. As a passer, I, I'm not sure if I, I would say that just yet with him. Um, but clearly Ballard felt comfortable enough to say that in a public setting. And if Someone of his stature is going to say that, you know, clearly he, he feels it. Um, so that was probably the one, like, one of the surprises, you know, certainly the Gus Bradley comments of them returning and, you know, really kind of taking the blame for the defensive issues from a points allowed standpoint. You know, I thought that was a question that needed to be asked. You know, he continues to show plenty of public love for Michael Pittman Jr. And they, again, I'd be surprised if he did not return. So uh, those are probably a few of the things. But yeah, to your last point, Jake, I mean, certainly. Uh, far better mood. I mean, he finally has a head coach and quarterback, and he hasn't said that really in, in any of the previous Januarys. Kevin, maybe I misunderstood his cadence or his tone or maybe the message he was trying to convey, but when he answered that Anthony Richardson question you brought up, I had that in my notes when he says, don't crown him, don't stamp him yet, but we're encouraged. What does he mean by crown and stamp? Does he mean as the next great quarterback in the entire NFL? Or does he mean as the next face of the franchise in terms of we're not ready to crown him as that yet? Oh, no, I, I think he meant, you know, let's not call up the firefighter who made Peyton's statue and get him ready for, you know, Anthony's statue. I, okay. I, I think that's what he meant. Yeah, he's yeah he's clearly the, the franchise quarterback. And, yeah, I mean, you are now building on a rookie contract. Another thing that, you know, Ballard hasn't done yet. 
Um, so, yeah, it was much more of the, um, yeah, let's not erect a statue just yet. But, yes, he is our guy, certainly, to begin 2024 and, you know, for the next X amount of years. Speaking of the firefighter that did the Peyton Manning statue, Kevin, you had contacted him like a year ago to start on the Benedict Matherin one. Have you had? Have you told him to hold <laughs> off, or where do we stand there? Well, I think the body type maybe has changed. I think maybe it's more of a taller, slender Tyrese Halliburton than it is a Benedict Matherin one. But, hey, lately there's there's maybe been some more, uh, you know, we could have a meeting in the future there. But, yeah, the, uh, the blueprint was getting a little dusty there for a while. Hey, Kevin, um, one of the things that jumped out at me, and I, I want your thought on this, when Chris Ballard was talking, I I thought it was really interesting when he was asked about Alec Pierce while he did kind of defend Alec Pierce by saying, look, he does really well what we ultimately are going to need him to do, which I took that as, hey, this is a guy that can get behind the defense and then we have to have a strong enough arm to get him the ball and you can see what he can do. And we didn't properly take advantage of that at the frequency we should, but we eventually will. That's what I took from that. But when he was asked about the disappointing or inconsistent play of Alec Pierce, Chris Ballard paused for a a few seconds and then said, that's a good question. Almost as if to validate that, yes, there is legitimacy in the concern about Pierce. Am I too Freudian with that interpretation? No, I don't think you are. I, I, you know, Eddie and I did this exercise a little bit earlier where we went through, you know, all the games for Alec Pierce. Apologize if you can hear this fire truck in the back. Yeah, do you need to pull? Is that the fire? Is Is that that the the guy with the statue? Yeah. That's a great question. Yeah, he's got the Matherin statue now. I see on the back of it as it drives by. Um, no, I think it's a totally you know fair way to look at it because again, Pierce is he's he's confusing for lack of a better term um, because you know I, again, Eddie and I did this a little bit earlier. I I would find hard pressed to find a wide receiver in the NFL that played more snaps this season but had fewer catches. I think Eddie looked it up. It was thirty two catches on the season. I mean, you know, it's a dude that plays, you know, 60-some snaps a game. I mean, he hardly comes off the field. He played every snap, but two against Houston, didn't have a catch. Like, you don't guys just fall into catches? <laughs> like, inevitably, it's just like if you're going to be out there for 50, 60 snaps, sooner or later the ball finds you at least a couple of times, and there were so many games this season where he had one or even zero catches. Having said all of that, um, I, I don't think you're in some position where you just dump him or trade him. You drafted him to be with Anthony Rich. Well, yeah, I mean, you, you, you really looked at the Anthony Richardson selection and thought this is going to help out Alec Pierce. Obviously, Pierce was the year before, but, you know, you thought at the time, very similar to a statement Ballard made yesterday, if we need to get more explosive. Well, that is what Pierce can do. Now, he needs the right partner in crime to do it. And, again, Richardson would theoretically be that guy um, and the thing, too, about Pierce is, which is so different than even Michael Pittman, you know, Pittman really needs seven or eight catches to feel his presence in a game. For the most part, Pierce just needs one or two. I mean, Alec Pierce was a huge reason why you beat the Raiders. He had one catch in that game. You know, the, again, Pittman, it, it's more of, you know, a little bit of a, a thousand paper cut sort of thing. So I still think you can be patient with Pierce. I still think just because I say that doesn't mean uh, you crown him, to use a Ballard phrase or anything like that. And it doesn't lessen the need to go out and get a white out. But I think seeing him with Anthony Richardson for a full year would be very important for his true evaluation. 
Kevin Bowen joins us. You hear him 7 to 10 a.m. on these very airwaves on the wake-up call with KB and Andy. Of course, Colts beat writer at 107.5thefan.com. Kevin, I get there's an element to this of, well, what's he supposed to say? It's a guy under contract. He's not going to badmouth him at the end of your press conference. And I get that. But Chris Ballard said he's very happy to have Matt Gay on this roster. And I'm not saying that maybe a one-year sample size is enough to say cut the guy or to fully abandon ship. But you made him the highest paid kicker for a reason. And even if you take out guys that only took like four kicks or three kicks all year, that only bumps him to 27th in accuracy on the year. That's an abject failure with what that signing was, is it not? Wait, give that give that to me again. If you if you take out what? So there's there's a couple guys at the top of the like the NFL doesn't mask it by attempts. So he's 32nd got in the it, league in it, accuracy, it. but if you take out like four guys that took only four field goals or like two field goals, he finished 27th yeah. in accuracy, hit an 80% clip. And I get it, maybe some of his attempts were longer than others, but you make that transaction with the thought that that problem is fixed. And when I look at that number where he finished over the year, it's hard not to look at that as an abject failure. Yeah, I, I don't know if I'd go all the way there. Um, I guess it's a little bit of carrying Matt Gay's water here with that statement. But I also thought you threw him into some very difficult situations or situations that just his grading scale is different than others. Now, having said that, you bring up the point of how much he gets paid. You pay him that much money to be put into those situations and deliver for you from, you know, whatever, 57 yards, for example, like you asked him to make on Saturday night. Um, you know, I, I don't want you to do this project because it sounds boring to me, but maybe I should do it at some point. You know, if you broke down the 50-yard attempts for him, compare that to other guys around the league, you know, certainly many of his misses last year came from north of, of 50. Um yeah, again, abject failure. I don't know if I can go there. Do you, you think know, he was hurt? A, well, I mean, clearly he was hurt for a period of time. I don't know, you know, A, how long that lingered or, you right. know, even B, just like how – I mean, that was really one week, if I'm not mistaken, uh, that he was even on the injury report there. So, um, you know, the 57-yard decision on Saturday night, as much as – you would like to think Matt Gay is capable of making that. I, I to me, and not to focus on one kick, but I thought that was a that was a time just to punt the ball deep. I felt like that was a moment in the game where, you know, Houston kind of struggled offensively with it. Your defense was playing a little bit better. You know, could you play the field position game and just pray that Nico Collins doesn't torch you like he did all night long? But yeah, I, I think you can sit here and say, you know, there's some disappointment in in, in Matt Gay, but I mean. Without him, there are several games, i.e. the Baltimore game, that obviously you don't you don't win either. Kevin Bowen is our guest. Of course, you hear him in the mornings with Andy Sweeney, the wake-up call with KB and Andy. Uh, Kevin, Michael Pittman's the obvious answer. We're going to take that off the table here. The most important free agent for the Colts that Chris Ballard wants to immediately get locked in and retained is who? Yeah, it's a great question. I think you can make strong cases for three of them, Grover Stewart, Kenny Moore, Julian Blackman. Um, I actually think Tyquan Lewis is a bit of an underrated guy as well. I know his injury history won't merit the same thing, but he's honestly produced more than Quiddy Pay has for you here. As of late, uh, it's probably Grover. Um, but, again, I think you can make really strong arguments for three of them. It's actually uh, something I asked on Twitter, and it was kind of interesting looking at the responses that fans gave. Um, you know, I, I don't think there's any nickel uh, behind Kenny Moore at all. Um, you know, the one guy that was back up you know, just got suspended and 
wave this past week in Tony Brown. Um, and then, you know, just popping the film for Saturday night if Julian Blackman's agent needs to remind the Colts of any leverage for his client there of how the safety's performed without him. Now, again, you have something at safety, I guess. Uh, Nick Cross, Rodney Thomas, you know, you've found some one-year signings at safety before that have worked for you. Um, so I guess that would probably be third on the list. But Grover and Kenny, I mean, Grover, obviously we saw it for six games. And Kenny, um, I thought Zaire Franklin had a great quote in talking about Kenny at the end of the season of just, I have no idea what it would look like without him. Like it, he just he just does so much for that secondary that kind of gets lost or maybe doesn't necessarily show up in a box score. So I would probably say Grover 1A, Kenny 1B, and then if I had to throw, Julian would probably be second or third on that list, I guess. Okay, speaking of Kenny Moore, how many nickels do you think it's going to take to, to retain him? In other words, of those three guys, Grover Stewart, Kenny Moore, and Julian Blackman, which one do you think actually – has the most value to other franchises and as a result could have the suitor that drives up the price tag for Chris Ballard. Yeah, I mean, if you go off age, you know, it would clearly be Blackman, but of course he's got the injury history that the other couple of guys don't have. Um, you know, Kenny is an interesting one because if you do have Matt Eberflus-like guys around the league, I know there's not a lot of them that, um, you know, kind of look at the defense and the nickel position in particular in the same light that Eberflus does, but there are some guys out there. I mean, you know, Arizona, Jonathan Gannon comes from, you know, the, the Eberflus tree, if you will, and obviously Eberflus is the head coach of Chicago. So if, you know, a handful of those teams all of a sudden – view Kenny as a really, really important piece, he could garner it. And then the run defense one is an interesting thought with Grover because he's not helping you out on third down, really. And I think there are some coaches out there that have the belief of, like, you know, you can really scheme up a little bit more from a run defense standpoint. Um, So I'd probably say it's Kenny, but, you know, again, Grover's durability at that spot I don't think should be lost either. Um, I know it's probably a little wishy-washy, wishy-washy in the answer that I'm getting, giving, but I, I, I do feel like it's that tight when you talk about these three guys. But I, I'd probably go Kenny, Grover, Julian. Julian's injury history being the big issue there. Kevin Bowen is our guest. You can hear him weekdays, 7 to 10 a.m. on the wake-up call with KB and Andy. KB, we spoke with Matt Verderam of SI.com at the top of the 1 o'clock hour. You can get that podcast. Just search Querying Company a little bit later today wherever you get your podcasts. And he talked about the lack of cap space utilized by Chris Boward in free agency when I asked him, hey, it's year eight, but there's caveats to year eight. The quarterbacks he's gone through, you cover it. You know the drill. But he emphasized the fact that this should not be an offseason where – the Colts are looking at the rollover cap space they have like it's an AT&T wireless plan going into 2024 as a whole. Do you view it the same way where, regardless of how you feel about Ballard's ability to draft, when it comes to spending, he's not been willing to do it, and to take it a step further, he mentioned it's one thing to go out and get like four or five guys at like low-level money versus actually paying three guys that deserve to be paid. Do you subscribe to that philosophy in terms of how they should utilize their cap space when attacking the open market? Yeah, I think this is the opportunity where you have to pounce. You have to take advantage of rookie contract quarterbacks. Um, You've seen that around the league. And honestly, you've probably seen a little bit more with trades 
Um, and, and of course, with trades, you are absorbing some sort of cap. Um, you know, think about what your well, I guess what the Dolphins did with Tua to your Chiefs and and trading for Tyreek Hill, two on the rookie deal. Uh, what did Philadelphia do in trading for AJ Brown on the rookie deal? I'm almost positive the Stephon Diggs trade occurred when Josh Allen was also on a rookie deal. So yeah, this is the, and you know to be to be honest, you know Ballard mentioned that several times yesterday. You know this is flexibility. This is not something we've had where you do have this rookie contract quarterback and you have the flexible cap space, and now it's like, okay, um, how do you go about, you know, using it, spending it, all of those things. So, yeah, this is an opportunity to do it, and I did think Ballard, and again, part of me is like, yeah, I'm trying not to like, kind of like hope creep into my ears, but like I don't recall yesterday, and you guys obviously listened to it, I don't recall yesterday in the 50 minutes getting the typical free agency soapbox from him of like, a money to B players or B money to C players. I didn't really hear that from him yesterday. There was a moment late in the uh, in the press conference where he was asked specifically about wideouts and the market value for wideouts, and he brought up and hell, we all can raise our hand at this. Uh, he brought up you know just gas price analogy and like if you want to drive your car uh, and it's four dollars a gallon, you got to put four dollars a gallon into your tank. And that's kind of what he was saying with whiteout. You know, if you want whiteouts, um, and I know there's some obviously jokes you could play off of that with Ballard's past whiteout comments, like you would have to, uh, you know, you're going to have to spend whatever it is, $27 million to retain a guy like Michael Pittman. So I actually thought Ballard's words backed up some of that. Now, of course, actions will ultimately be there. But I guess largely, Jimmy, to the point you originally asked, yes, uh, this is the time. Rookie contract quarterback, you've got about two to three years to – front load contracts to absorb cap space and if you don't take advantage of that you're going to feel some of that pain come you know year five year six when you really start playing Richardson and not just paying Richardson you know paying Bernard Ryman uh, Ryman's due an extension next offseason if he continues on this path and you know at some point you'd love to pay a pass rusher big money and, and pay a cornerback big money so yeah n- now is the time whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Hey fam, I'm asking for your support. Help us raise money for St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital. Families never receive a bill from St. Jude for treatment, travel, housing, or food so they can focus on helping their child live. By pledging just $19 a month, you're helping St. Jude give every child with cancer a chance. Help St. Jude save lives. Call 1-800-411-9898. That's 1-800-411-9898 and become a partner in hope today. Kevin Bowen is our guest. Okay, Kevin, let's just say hypothetically that your wife Maddie tells you, Kevin, we've got a lot of stuff we got to do around the house. You, you know, that we got stuff to do with the kids. It's a busy time of year. I'm going to allow you to watch one, one wild card weekend or wild card round game in the NFL. And. You have the choice. The only two games that she's allowing you to watch, so you have to pick from one of these two, Tampa and Philly or Steelers and Buffalo. Which one is the game that you go with? Gosh, you're quite the demand. I just want to watch Notre Dame-Florida State basketball tomorrow at 2.15 <laughs> and have my weekend here. Um, I would watch 
yeah, Buffalo, no. I mean, outside of weather, I don't. Buffalo, Pittsburgh doesn't do it for me. Uh, certainly, Philly, Tampa. Let's go. Okay, so we're now it's two to two, right? I, I go with Buffalo, Pittsburgh, and I was telling Jimmy that the, the biggest guh matchup is <laughs> Philly, Tampa. Well, I'd love to hear your rationale on. Thank Pittsburgh you, Kevin. I appreciate the floor there. Here's my rationale. The Buffalo Bills are a team that for the last few years have kind of knocked on the door and they're a story, of course, of a franchise that has a rabid and passionate fan base and then with a dynamic quarterback where going into the season it felt like there was the possibility all dreams were going to be welcomed and and met and fulfilled. But they struggled. They couldn't find themselves. Stephon Diggs was unhappy. And then in a true gauntlet towards the end of the season, they managed to dig deep to get into the playoffs. And the question now becomes, did that awakening have enough to carry them to the promised land that has eluded them so many times before? Or did they actually exert too much energy and now, once again, their dreams are going to be broken right before our very eyes in what is true playoff, rust belt, snow flurry, lunch pail, seeing your breath football weather between the Pittsburgh Steelers, a proud franchise that eked their way in and now has the chance to ruin the dreams of their rust belt neighbor, the Buffalo Bills, as opposed to the Philadelphia Eagles who have won recently but are kind of backpedaling heading into the playoffs. They've got kind of dreary and grab-looking, just boring-looking uniforms. (laughs) And they're going into a, a stadium that was kind of like Ikea. It was totally cool 15 years ago. Now it's kind of tired. It's got a pirate ship. And they got a guy in Baker Mayfield who truly his most significant moment of the last 10 years was planting a flag in the middle of Ohio Stadium. Well, um, yeah, I, I, that doesn't change my opinion. I, I appreciate you laying, the, laying all of that out. It warmed uh, your heart, comments. didn't you? It warmed mine. Yeah, I mean, there were some comments that I nodded at. I mean, like, isn't Nick Sirianni potentially like, on the hot seat? Like, I, yeah, I know. Yeah, is it? I mean, that's that's after intriguing. he yelled at Chiefs fans when they were nine and one. Where have they been since then? I'm not bitter. I was gonna say, I look at Philly as just juicy right now. They've got the injuries, and Jalen Hurts has thrown one pass since the injury, and you know Baker has been on this journey. I mean, Baker started for what four teams in like an 18 month span, and now all of a sudden it's like he's hosting a home playoff game and. You know, how do they look there? Um, yeah, I just don't think – unless the weather is crazy, I don't think Buffalo gets tested. So, I guess right. that's kind of more of my like, – I just I, think I Buffalo is a more – here's the thing. I think Buffalo is a more fun team to watch. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't disagree with that. I mean, Philly, when they're humming, which they haven't been in a while, they are pretty fun as well. But I just – I can't watch Mason Rudolph in the playoffs. Yeah, it's a bye week. Or, it's a bye week. It should be a bye week. Maybe the weather impacts that, but it should be a game that's over by the first quarter. Yeah, it's like one of those things where it's like, did we really need to expand the playoffs to seven teams? Like, yeah. Did Pittsburgh really need to get in? Totally. Did we, uh, do we have to have that in there? You know, that's that's a little bit of my thought, too. Hey, of these jobs, Kevin, Washington, Carolina, the Chargers, we just talked to Matt Verderam about this, but I want your thoughts. Washington, Carolina, the Chargers, Vegas, Seattle, Tennessee, Atlanta. I don't think I'm missing anybody because New England has already been filled. Um, which of those jobs... Which of those franchises do you think is going to have the hardest time selling a coach on taking over their franchise? Which is the hardest sell to get somebody to coach you? 
Well, I, I think Tennessee is going to have a bit of a bit of a sell there. Uh, Tennessee and Carolina. I mean, certainly from an ownership standpoint, is David Tepper psychotic? Um, yeah, that yes, would be, he is. You know, yeah, yeah. I guess the answer is already there, but that, that would definitely be a question I would have. Like, how long is my leash? Uh, those sorts of things. Uh, Tennessee. I mean, all of a sudden you're walking into an AFC South where it's like, whoa, um, is it? You know. This is now the new AFC South, and it's like, wait, is Will Levis? Do I have to keep him? Do I, you know, like that would be a question. And um, you know, ownership wise, there all of a sudden, Mike Mike Rayfield's a pretty darn good resume, and and you let him go. So I would say, yeah, I'd say easily Carolina and Tennessee, unless I'm just forgetting somebody that's really obvious. Okay, lastly, take me through Notre Dame and Florida State in basketball. Are you really going to watch? <laughs> Well, they had to they had to get to South Bend last night because of the weather. I know we're dealing with a lot of weather issues. If I'm not mistaken, I think I saw earlier the IU women uh, did not travel to Iowa or aren't going to travel till tomorrow morning. I guess due to the weather. So yeah, it's great time to play. You know, you're always curious when do you play the. You know, this is my Mike Mike Bray talking. You know, we 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 want to play the Florida ACC teams when it's awful weather. Well, boy, are you getting mad? Those Florida State kids have just been cooped up in the hotel room for 36 hours going to be great i don't think leonard hamilton's team is any good and notre dame just won their first road game in 23 months which is such a sorry stat to even say publicly but that is what happened the Wait, other who night did they beat on the road georgia tech uh they beat the rambling rack of georgia tech and uh, you know what I, I should know this i'm embarrassed who's coaching georgia tech now is it damon stoudemire i was gonna say that, that's that's right up your alley yeah yeah that's what i thought because um, I saw Josh Pastner's like working a studio somewhere now in one of the thirty-eight different college basketball networks. Yeah, he was uh, he was pregame for IU Rutgers the other night. Yeah, he's a pretty likable dude. But um, Georgia Tech, a once proud program, by the way. I was they were they were big when I was in high school, obviously. But uh, so your Irish beat Florida State. That's what we're going with here. That's my hope. That's my prayer. Uh, they have played better since Rake and I saw them lose to the Citadel by 20. God, it's which tough. Gosh. It's so tough. Yeah, thanks, Jimmy. I'm I can sorry. feel your laugh. Did, you did you guys drive there and back on the same night? Same night. Oh, yeah, there and back. Same and then night. you did the morning show in the morning? Yes, correct. See, I'm yeah, glad uh-huh. to see that, that in the brief 18-month period, Kevin, I'm glad to see that there was part of me that rubbed off on you in terms of bonsai trips and still getting up and going in the morning. Love it. Yeah, it was one of those things where it's like, wait, you guys did like people were like they, they thought Rick and I were joking, I think, and then they like saw that we were actually there and were like, wait, you actually went to the Notre Dame game on Tuesday night and they lost by twenty to the Citadel. Um, yeah, it was one of those. Mo- it was a very humbling moment, to be honest with you. When 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 we hit Peru, I'm like, wait a minute, we still have over an hour to go. Is this really what we're doing right now? <laughs> What's the opposite of taking your shirt off? Like putting more layers on? Is that what the reaction was there for you after the Citadel game? Yeah, it was one of those, you know, you go to the concession stands. Do you have brown bags? Can we wear those here for the final? <laughs> what was the crowd? How many were there? The game? How many were there? Oh, so pathetic. Uh, yeah, I, honestly, and Ray could vouch for this, if there were more than 500 people there, they would be lying to you. Really? I mean, Tuesday night, it wasn't great. Well, actually, I thought it was decent weather now that I think about it. But it was a 6 o'clock start on a Tuesday night. Now I'm just making excuses. No students, but it was, yeah, it was awful. Yeah, it was. A, I mean, to be fair, Notre Dame men's basketball does not draw very good crowds unless they're great. I mean, it, it's a very fair weather fan base. The women certainly draw better crowds. There, there's no no debating that whatsoever. Well, I like that you're a fan of somebody. Then, and you're one of 500. That's kind of cool. Uh, Kevin, enjoy the weekend. The Dame, What's that? Are we going to the Notre Dame? Are we going to the Notre Dame Clemson basketball game? 
<laughs> hey, Clemson's still ranked, aren't they? I think they're 19th. Wasn't that guy supposed to be the IU coach at one point? Brad, Brad Brunel, Brad yeah. Brunel, well, he's from he's from Evansville, so people always throw his name in there whenever it depending on what they're doing. Clemson, though, is the proverbial, Kevin, as you know. Clemson is the proverbial every year. Starts out twelve and zero, one of the last four teams to lose their first game, and then Selection Sunday comes and they're eighteen and thirteen, and they've won six of their last nineteen games every year, <laughs> yeah. every yeah, single we, year. We will, yeah, we'll be comparing Butler's resume next to Clemson here in a couple of months. That's exactly right. All right, Kevin, enjoy the games this weekend. All right, see you guys. All right, Kevin Bowen joining us on the program.